Hello, I'm Tony Kerr from the Guernsey Press. Now, when was the last time you visited the Galore Library? Maybe it was yesterday, maybe it was many years ago. Things have certainly changed in there over the decades. It's Fab Lab, for example, which offers islanders access to cutting edge technology, um, just one of the innovations helping it keep pace with the needs of the community. And amazingly, the introduction of something like that, something so modern, is exactly the kind of thing the founders, Mr. Gill and Mr. Orle, wanted to see happen when they set up the library 140 years ago. And the story of how the Gilorle Library came into being is the subject of a new exhibition, which is just opened there to celebrate that milestone. Called Boundless Curiosity, it also puts on display some of the most treasured items in the library's collection, including one of the world's rarest books, The Birds of America. Well, I caught up with Chief Librarian Cornelia James, Head of Marketing for the Library, Adam Bayfield, and its Managing Director, Richard Hamilton, to find out more about the exhibition, that remarkable story of Giel and Orle, and how they hope telling it can help remind the local community of the role the library plays in island life. Adam, Cornelia, Richard, good to see you. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Tony. Yeah. Uh, you. You've very kindly just given me a little sneak peek of the exhibition as it sort of takes shape. Um, let me come to you first, Adam. I know you've put a lot of work into to the project and, and getting this exhibition together. You've got some wonderful objects for people to come and see, and we'll, we'll talk a bit more about some of those um, in a bit. But one of the main thrusts of the whole thing, I guess, is, is telling the story of the library and how it came into being. And it is quite an extraordinary one. Um, just give us, I suppose, the abridged version. Yeah, so that's that's really the the kind of the, the idea, the big idea of the exhibition is to is to bring to life that story of our origins, which, as you say, is quite a remarkable story. And it's probably fair to say that it's it's one that a lot of people in Guernsey are blissfully unaware of. Um, they'll know that it's the Gilolo Library, um, but may not have thought about you know well who who is Gil, who is Ole, you know why is it called that? So our, the, the 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 story is that our um, the library was founded by um, Thomas Giel and Frederick Orle, who were um, who grew up together in Guernsey, and they left the island to emigrate to New York in the 1830s when they were about well, when they were teenagers, when they were 14 years old. And um, they arrived in New York and became apprentice carpenters um, to a fellow Guernseyman who'd, who'd already moved out there. And as apprentices, they had access to something called the Apprentices Library, which is one of the oldest and kind of grandest libraries in New York and we have this amazing quote from Thomas Giel writing in his diary at the time that he he walked into the library and he'd basically just never seen anything like it you know kind of growing up in um in in rural Guernsey in the 1830s it was this kind of like palace of books and he wrote never shall I forget um the emotion of wonder and delight which seized me when I first entered the library and he it just totally blew him away as I say and and he resolved there and then that one day he would he said you know I'm going to come back to Guernsey one day and um, and start something like this of my own and and then his friend Frederick Orle came to join him in New York and they he shared that dream with him and they and Frederick was equally passionate and they um they they sort of made it their life's mission as I say to to one day come back here and, and start a library. And I know people kind of did things a bit earlier those days, you know, entered the workforce at, you know, sort of silly ages. But to, to go to New York at, at that time at 14 is quite extraordinary from here. And was he 14 when he walked into that library and, and decided there and then that this was his grand vision? That's right. And actually, yeah, that's a, it's an important point is that, yeah, this is, this is an era before um, 
steam engines. So yeah, it, it took about six weeks to cross the Atlantic on a on a sailing ship. So it was a a big undertaking. Um, you know, left the island, left his parents, all of that. It's, it's quite a remarkable thing to do. Yeah, he was 14 when he walked into the library. And not only did he decide, and it wasn't a sort of whim, you know, or a kind of childish um, fantasy, one day I'll do it. They actually started buying books and they spent the next, I mean, it eventually it took them 50 years in the end to achieve this. And all through that time, they were going to auctions, buying books, putting them aside. And they eventually built up this collection of something like 70,000 books to bring back with them when they eventually they they stayed in new york all this time they eventually retired um from their business that they'd taken over become very um, successful businessmen in new york um and, and brought those books back with them to guernsey to 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 buy this building that we're sitting in at the moment in, in market square and yeah and make that kind of childhood dream a, a reality quite precocious kids really <laughs> do we know much about what their lives were like kind of before they left i mean how did they you know, were they sort of well-educated before they went off to New York? Well, yeah, they were both um, growing up on on farms in um, in Forest, I think Forest and St. Martin's. Um, but And they were both educated, I think, at, at Forest School. Um, there is a note, you know, a, a few people kind of writing about them have said, you know, they were kind of unusually well-educated for the time because I think both of their um, sets of parents were quite well educated but they but they were you know they were they were farmers they were um as i say they were essentially kind of farm hands and so um going away to new york and uh, yeah just that that image of thomas gill walking into the library which uh, the, the apprentice's library does still exist in new york but it's in a different building it's a it's a completely different thing that but it, it, at the time it was this kind of huge um I, I sort of like to imagine it a bit like hogwarts you know kind of twisting staircases and things and he just, yeah, he just couldn't believe it. I'd say he'd never seen anything like it. It is quite an incredible story. I mean, Cornelia, for you as kind of one of the custodians now of that vision, if you like, how does it feel to, to think about where it all began? Well, it's amazing to think how it all began. I mean, Thomas Gill and Frederick Orlay came back. They started this library with 70,000 books. And obviously books are at the heart of, you know, the library that they envisaged. But they really wanted it to be a community hub. Um, you know, they wanted it to be a centre of um, education um, and art and culture. Um, very much what the library is like now. And yeah, exactly. I mean, how closely aligned is the library to that vision? I mean, how, how sort of... How centrally do you sort of hold it in what you do today? So the founders' original vision was to have um, not just a library. I mean, they opened the library with 70,000 books, um, but to have it as a community hub, um, a centre of art and culture. And um, in the 1890s, a series of lectures was uh, launched in what's now the Hayward Room. It was called the Lecture Hall at the time and could seat about 200 people. So they had lunchtime lectures on everything from science, art, literature, um, and they had clubs and society such as chess clubs. They even had a table tennis club here at the library. They had French lessons, choral societies. Actually, we have a fantastic picture of the Gil Orlay Choral Association as part of the exhibition. There were some 200 members in that and they regularly performed at places like St. Julian's Hall. Yeah, amazing. I mean, it's an incredible vision they had then to, yeah, even though they're clearly kind of slightly obsessed with books and collecting them, um, an incredible vision to... Um, to think of what the library and what this space could be, I guess. And um, yeah, you know, given what you, you do today, um, 
it, it seems like you sort of followed that path quite closely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they wanted the library to become Guernsey's cultural and educational centre. And I really do think things have come full circle, you know, with what we're doing here at the library today. Um, Gil and Orle wrote a constitution that said that the library should have an elasticity of adaptation, meaning it should constantly be moving with the times, responding to the changing needs of the community. And I'd like to think that uh, the library as it is today is very much that cultural hub that they had in mind. You know, we're doing things here at the library. You know, we're still singing every day. We're singing to babies and toddlers and we're reading stories out in the community to our seniors in our care homes. Um, we're keeping abreast of all the science and technology that they wanted us to. For example, with the Fab Lab, we have cutting edge um, machinery and technology that is open to all the public, um, a place where we can share skills and you know, learn things. Um, so it's very much that community hub that they had in mind. Although we think have things like ebooks now and um, and home delivery, and I think they would it was very much fitting to that sort of vision that they had of the library constantly evolving and constantly changing to suit the needs of the community. Yeah, it's amazing how that constitution that they wrote, you know, is really relevant like it could basically be written today it'd be written in slightly different language um <laughs> they wrote in very kind of flowery language at the time but the the, the what the the meaning of it really applies to today and yeah something like the fab lab that cornelia mentioned or ebooks you know these are things that gilan orle couldn't possibly have imagined but i think they would approve you know they, they really wanted the the library as she says to be community focused and moving with the times and you know that that's we like to think anyway, very much the case today. Yeah, amazing. And Richard, you've been involved for about five years, I think you said. Um, how important is it in this moment, I suppose, to, to, to take advantage of the, the, this anniversary, 140 years, but how important is it to, I can, I suppose, tell the story and remind Islanders of, of how this place came to be and, and what it wants to be, I guess? Well, I think as, as managing director of the board, my responsibility is to make sure that, that we fulfil the, the aspirations of the team. And obviously that falls back, as you've just heard, to what was originally intended with the whole building and the intention of it being a community hub, etc. So there's a huge responsibility for us. And I think we need to take as many opportunities as we can to raise the profile of the library because people just don't know enough about it. And, and when I was appointed five years ago, I had a very small understanding of what the library does, what it provides, what access it gives to people. Um, once you're in here, it kind of becomes very infectious in that you realise just what an incredible place it is and what a, an essential part of the community it is. Now, that carries massive weight for us in terms of the obligation that we have. But I think what we will do through the exhibition is, as well as the exhibition, is just get people into the building who've not been in here for a long time, who won't realise that we have a fab lab or an amazing children's library or an incredible reception area and you know access to e-books and all of those things. Actually, there is a, there's quite a high level of ignorance, and I mean that in a really respectful way, in the community about just what this place can offer and what it has available to them at no cost um, and in a, in a way that means that their children and my children will be able to learn massively, develop and bring in new skills that they never realised they could have. We were talking before, it hasn't really been done in the past in the, in the way that you're doing it now. Actually kind of, you know, almost going back to basics, telling the story and, and sort of celebrating that history. Yeah, I think that's that's fair to say. Um, it, it you know it's it's a 140 years this year. I think there was something for the centenary, um, but but not on this scale at all. And obviously that is a long time ago, 40 years, if my maths is is correct there. Um, and yeah, obviously as a, a big part of this, we're telling the story, but it's also an opportunity to um, showcase some of the incredible stuff that we have 
in the collection, which again, many people might not be aware of. And fair enough, they're not aware of it because it's not normally on public display. So it's, it's a really good way for us to um, exhibit those things. So, you know, the, the kind of the, the star attraction, I suppose, is um, the Birds of America, which um, we might talk about a little bit, um, which is you know, one of the rarest books in the world. There's other rare books. Yeah, you, you can't know, tease that and move <laughs> on. Um, so yeah, tell us about the Birds of America book because it's, I mean, not only is it extremely rare, it's an amazingly large kind of, uh, it's an incredible object. Yes, it's a it's a fairly kind of awe-inspiring piece of work, really. Um, so it's uh, by this uh, chap called John James Audubon, who was a um, uh, artist and a naturalist. Um, and in the 1820s, he kind of set himself the challenge um, of painting every species of bird in North America. Um, and it took him about 12 years to, to pull it off, but he eventually pulled all these illustrations together into um into one volume it was published in a series of folios they're called in a series of parts i suppose but eventually into one volume um, and he uh, because he insisted um that the illustrations needed to be life size as you say tony the the book is absolutely enormous i mean there's flamingos there's eagles you know so and these are all life size so it's it's not only one of the rarest it must be one of the biggest books in the world it does take two of us to turn a page <laughs> yeah. um and yeah, I mean, he actually um, deliberately set out to make it rare. You know, he, they only, he only published a limited number of these, essentially because he was trying to make money at the time. But it was, they were mainly bought by institutions. Um, and Guy Lanole picked one up um, at the time. Um, so I think there's, there's only something like 100 um, copies of, of the first edition left in the world. Um, are edition is a is slightly different it's it's the first reissue reissue of the book called a bn edition um it's it's actually even technically even rarer still there's only about 70 of those left in the world um so yeah it's 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 a it's actually an extraordinary thing to that you know to have here in our library in guernsey and it's 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 an amazing site i mean the not only are the illustrations huge they're incredibly detailed they're really kind of like yeah, majestic works of I think, art. Really. I think we kind of break into a cold sweat every time we talk <laughs> about that book because obviously it, it in its own right, regardless of anything else that we're doing, that would be enough worldwide for people to, to want to come and Absolutely. see it. it. It's that famous and that significant in terms of in history. And I think that's where we kind of want to shout from the rooftops a little bit because, again, you know, no one knows we've got it. No one knows that Guernsey has access to such an incredible piece of history. So... You know, I said to you before about that weight of expectation and responsibility. There's a massive responsibility on us to continue what Mr. Gillian Swarley wanted. Um, but they've given us some great tools to do that, which is fantastic. And I think the other thing I would say is that, you know, this, there's a strategic element to this exhibition because very clearly the exhibition is a snapshot of the exhibition that we originally had in the building when it was originally housed here. But what it will do is the museum. Yeah, to the museum. Yeah. But what it will do is it will allow us to kind of really demonstrate just what we've got now and what we want to do moving forward. And I think there's a big part of this that obviously the exhibition covers our history and some incredible historic elements and where we came from and what we've got. What we'll be doing next is talking about what we want to do next because we need to continue this. We need to perpetuate that that expectation, and that's a massive kind of responsibility upon all the team. Yeah, perhaps we'll come back to that stuff. I mean, you mentioned the museum, uh, you know, it's not just the the giant Birds of America book. You've got some other historic kind of works in there and lots of artefacts of, from all over the world, which were or are part of the library's collection and, and one day would have been displayed here. 
Yeah, that's right. So so when Guillenall opened the library, um, it was both a library and a museum. I mean, Cornelia mentioned that, it, you know, they had this vision of it as a community hub and something more than, in quotes, just a library. And the, the museum was a big part of that. It was on the third floor, on the top floor here at the library um, until 1979. So actually there are there are people out there who remember coming to the museum um the main thing they remember is there was a lot of uh taxidermy animals there were a lot of stuffed animals it was a real kind of people still having nightmares (laughs) yeah it was a real victorian um experience i suppose um it was obviously the collection that was put together by guillain at the time and other people who donated in the 1880s 1890s so were a lot of stuffed and mounted animals but also yeah, artifacts and various different things from all over the world, you know, ancient Rome, ancient Egypt, um, the, the South Pacific, yeah, all, uh, everywhere. Um, so in 1979, everything that was in the museum went on what's called indefinite loan to Guernsey Museums. So there is, at Guernsey Museums, there's something called the Guy Lawley Collection, which which makes up a, you know, a, a, a reasonable um, chunk of, of the Guernsey Museums collection, um, which is items that, that came from here at the library and are still um are still um in well the the, the trustees of the library are, are still ultimately cu- custodians of we've had fantastic support from guernsey museums on this exhibition from the team there and they've you know they've they've lent us showcases and they've they've kind of helped us to to bring some of those items kind of back home if you like to the library so that we can exhibit them too. So the exhibition, yeah, it's telling the story of Guillain Orle. We've got these rare books on display, including Birds of America, but also these museum artifacts. Um, yeah, so there's 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 really so much to see. Yeah, there is lots to look at. One thing that really stands out, I think, as well from the history of the library and the way it developed, kind of compared to now, is is the fact that the children's library is such a big part of your operation now, and children in general are such a big part of what you do. But Actually, in the original vision, they were kind of overlooked. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. There wasn't even a children's like you know, um, children weren't. I think they weren't allowed in the library. No, right? no they, they, they certainly <laughs> didn't really consider them. They didn't. <laughs> no. Really. So, yeah. um, in that that's that's a more recent addition, and actually, that there is part of our exhibition that will be um, telling the story about how the children's library did develop with Dora Dory and her original bookmobile. Um, that's going to be in actually in the Dory room. Um, but yeah, it's fantastic to see the children's library now. And that is, obviously, we've had a children's library for many years now, but with the recent addition um, of the renovated children's library, you know, a couple of years ago, um, it's opened up the library to so many more people, so many families who maybe wouldn't have come to use the library before, but heard about this fantastic children's library and wanted to come in. Um, obviously, we are going to be catering to children for the exhibition. Um, we, the children's team, are working on a children's trail, like an exhibition trail, um, we're going to have a little Victorian library and uh, we have a very uh, we have a the Cockgreave indicator that's another story actually isn't it (laughs) Um, we have a children's version of the Cockgreave indicator which was uh, a very old-fashioned way of checking books in and out of the library uh, pre-computers yeah this this isn't great for listeners but Tony you might be able to see behind me there's yeah. a miniature version of the Cockgreave indicator there it's basically it's like a sort of well I don't know do you know what? it's like one of those kind of quite posh um, advent calendars you get now where you get a little <laughs> exactly. gift with each one I suppose so yeah it's like yeah there's sort of little zinc shelves that you can pull out and they're reversible so one end is blue the other end is red to show whether it's in or out so the idea is that the librarians would reverse them whether the book was in or out so and that each shelf has a little ledger where you'd write down the you know the the, the number of the um the library member that had borrowed it so essentially each of those shelves represents a book 
in the collection is the idea so we the, there's still a few out from the, <laughs> well that's a that's a miniature one that's been um made for the exhibition for children to kind of play with um but we have the real thing um is will yeah will be part um of the exhibition trail i mean you might be able to guess from looking at that even just from that that this system fell out of use you know <laughs> quite quickly because you'd need you just need, you'd need it to be absolutely enormous to represent you know any you know a large collection of books and the, these were being used in libraries all across the UK um and it it fell out of favor because as book collections grew they just simply didn't have the room for them um but they were invented by an Alfred Cotgreave yeah who actually was the first chief librarian here so he'd already invented this system and I think Gillian Orlay kind of headhunted him to come and be the first chief librarian. Um, but yeah, his he, he invented loads of contraptions, I think. Was, yeah, uh, A book grabber. Yeah, but, <laughs> but eventually this system kind of fell out of use around about 1900, but it, it stayed here in the Gillian until 1962. So, wow. Yeah. Again, some people may remember it. That's awesome. Um, I mean, I know that you've kind of opened up some new spaces as well within the library to, or some new rooms that you haven't used before to kind of put on the exhibition. You've obviously dug out a lot of stuff. Uh, uh, you know, the bits of this building and bits of the collection that you're still learning about, Cornelia? The, I, I keep hoping that I'm going to open a door one day and find a hidden room. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, we're always looking at the space um, and seeing what we can do, how we can evolve the service um, and making best use of the space we've got. Obviously, it's a very old Victorian building. It does have some limitations, but we're always looking at ways uh, to expand the service. The two rooms that are being used for the exhibition rooms were old um, administration rooms um, and it's been great to have the whole team actually the staff all hands on deck um, you know painting and getting those rooms ready um, for the exhibition so hopefully we'll be looking at ways to you know use those rooms in the future yeah fantastic and Richard you mentioned before about taking this opportunity to to kind of I suppose project what you want to do into the future I mean yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it's a really interesting kind of, as you said, it's an interesting history and the structure that we have now. We have a, a you know, a sort of a triumph, if you like, of kind of responsibility for running the library. So you have the council of management, which includes the bailiff and the uh, procurer, etc. And they make sure that, you know, we're doing what we we're expected to do. Then we've got the trustees who own the building and have been fantastic, actually, and should say that in terms of their support of us putting this exhibition together. And then we have the, the board of management, which I'm managing director of, whose responsibility is to basically make it happen and to run the place. Um, and obviously Adam and Cornelia are part of that senior management team. So there's a real team kind of ethos to, to what we're doing. But the fascinating thing for me, I've worked in business, you know, 35 years. I don't think I've ever seen anywhere from a work perspective with more passion. Um, and that passion just needs to translate all the time into the delivery of services now and in the future. And, you know, you can see from the exhibition and you can see the kind of the history that it's, it's like having a family heirloom. And once you've got it, you care about it, you want to protect it, you want to polish it, you want to move it forward. But you're also thinking about what you do with it next. Um, and so I think, you know, we're expecting quite a lot of interesting feedback and comments and ideas and, you know, observations because their story, Gil and Orle's story is so remarkable in its own right, but it has a number of different facets and, and elements that you know we could build on we could look at doing things that actually you know are part of their history and areas that we could consider doing more of but it comes back to what Cornelius said you know basically we're here for the community one of the drivers of the senior management team and one of the things we did in a, a strategic discussion was want to be the number one tourist destination um, in the island now that sounds a bit 
bonkers really but actually lots of people come to libraries anyway so what we want to do is make it as rich an experience as we can when they get here and the exhibition is going to be a great example of that I'm, I'm convinced we'll have massive interest in it because people are interested in old things not me as a, <laughs> not me as an old thing necessarily but they're definitely interested in old books artifacts you know all that kind of thing so they're going to get that as well as the opportunity to see other things that we can provide so it's a win-win for everybody yeah brilliant and obviously the sort of the model of the library or, or it's kind of I suppose position within the community and its relationship with the, the island has sort of changed over the years but how strong is the footing now to I mean 140 years into the future is a long way to project but to to sort of build successfully into the the decades to come well I, I don't have any question about where we sit in the community and I think we're, we're very fortunate we've got a good relationship with with the states of Guernsey obviously they help us significantly with regard to grants to provide the service um and you know I, I have no doubt we we fit fantastically into that kind of profile of the future of the island and we've talked a lot to the education committee about what we can do here what we could do moving forward and I think it's such a significant asset you know we get all the schools visiting here um, we give exposure to kind of parts of the community that would never get exposure to learning and to knowledge etc so I, I don't see us going anywhere to be perfectly honest I think the interesting thing is that you know I think the next sort of 20 years is going to be very interesting because technology is moving on you know people's expectations move on but our footfall continues to grow. So we're obviously doing the right things, but we've got to keep doing the right things. And I think that's the next challenge for all of us. A few guys here day to day, I mean, heading into sort of uncertain economic times, you know, there's a lot of um, worry around, you know, the cost of living crisis, all this kind of stuff. I mean, has the library got an elevated role to play, do you think, in the next few years as kind of people come to terms with that? I think libraries do have, have a role to play in the community and supporting them in all walks of life. Um, you know, we're here for everybody. We're a free service. Um, Gillian Orlay always wanted it uh, clear that the library was here for every class of society and, you know, to make everything free. Um, you know, they didn't even have fines, did they? Because they believed that um, that their subscribers would be so um, conscientious, conscientious yeah. of the fact that other people would be waiting for the books. And we um, don't have fines anymore, it's worth So that's kind of come either. full circle so, yeah. as well. But, you know, we're a free service. You know, we, you know we're here for everybody. And, um, you know, it's a really important part of the community. I think just looking at the decades that have gone by, um, we have really sort of cemented ourselves deeply into the fabric of, um, of island life. And I think when we were celebrating our 80th anniversary in 1962, the Guernsey Press did an article on us then, and they said Guernsey without the Gilole would be unthinkable. Wow. <laughs> we'll see what the reviews like this. Yeah, year. I'm, <laughs> sure, I'm sure it'll be just as good. I'm sure it was just as good. Um, yeah, I mean, Adam, just coming back to that point, you know, just about this is a community asset. You know, in the next couple of years, or even in the short term, it's mm -hmm. probably come at a good time to sort of remind people of, of what's here, um, what's available, and uh, you know, at, at kind of little cost to the user. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this this is um, true for libraries all over um, the UK and, and further afield as well. You know, that um, libraries are evolving, but as you say, Tony, in kind of uncertain economic times, you know, if anything, the library you know is as um as Corny says we you know libraries are for everybody and if anything you know we're we're here today and it's arguably as needed as much today as as it ever has been in that last 140 years it's we're a going back to that given vision it's you know that they wanted it to be more than in quotes just a library you know it, it's a community space right in the heart of town right in the heart of the community it's a place where and it's one of the only places in society really where people can just can come and just be you can just be here 
you know you don't people talk about libraries that you it's one of the only places that you can be a a citizen not a consumer you know you can you can just come into the library you don't there's no transaction you don't have to pay any money to be here just come and sit and read a book or read anything like that um but that you can also, you know, there's also then all the opportunities to learn and, and develop and so on that, that Richard think, was talking about. I think it's absolutely remarkable that, that if you think about the, the, the creation of the library, um, you know, that 14-year-old boy walking in and saying, I want people in Guernsey to be able to see this and to make it as accessible as possible. We've now come, as we said earlier on, full circle that actually, you know, it, this is such a valuable place for people to come and it isn't about kind of excluding any part of community whatsoever and actually now with regard to the economic environment you know there's so much that people can access here that they're currently paying for so i think that's the other thing we're very mindful of is you know that this could increase our usage which then creates a pressure for us because you know if more people start to want to use the service and to pick up the things that we can provide in here we've got to obviously scale accordingly so you know ultimately we're public servants and as public servants in an environment where there's an economic crisis we've got to make sure we provide that. So there's a real obligation as well as a kind of a passion that we need to harness all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just to finish off then, Adam, remind us kind of yeah, how people can get involved when the exhibition's open, how long it's going to run, that kind of stuff. So it's called Boundless Curiosity, 140 years of the Gilolay Library, and it opens on Friday, the 4th of November. It's running till Saturday, the 21st of January. It's open during library opening hours. So yeah, just come in i should also say the, the the birds of america which we talked about is the kind of centerpiece one of the rarest books in the world um obviously when people come in there'll only be one page on display but we are going to turn the page once a week so you know return visits <laughs> are encouraged as well is that gonna be uh, like sort of changing of the guard <laughs> exactly play, play yeah. a, a big, big ceremony <laughs> on a monday morning um and uh, and yeah there's there's lots more information and lots more background on the story and things like that as well on our website and um, library.gg Fantastic. Well, thanks very much for telling us all about that. I mean, it's an inspiring story, actually, the, the origin of the library, I think, the ambition and the kind of, um, yeah, the, the vision. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's it's quite incredible. So uh, we've only really touched on it there. You'll obviously have, um, you know, the full story on show here for people to come and see. So, um, yeah, I'm sure lots of people will do that. Thanks very much, guys. Thank, Thank you very much. My thanks to Adam, Richard and Cornelia for their time. It really is worth a visit to the exhibition, not just to learn more about that incredible origin story of Giel and Orle, but also to see that book, The Birds of America. It's huge, it's hugely impressive. And as Adam says, they're going to be turning that page uh, every week. So uh, worth a repeat visit. Uh, We'll be back with more podcasts soon, speaking to the people making the businesses and institutions of the bailiwick tick. Thanks for listening. For now, we'll see you next time.